What's going on, fellas? I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. And this week, we're back for another episode of the MMA DFS show, but not just another one, a huge one. We got a triple header of UFC title fights this weekend. We got the light heavyweight strap on the line when Israel Adesanya moves up in weight and fights Jan Blachowicz. Then we got the women's featherweight championship where we got Amanda Nunes taking on Megan Anderson. And then the third one, the one I'm most excited about, the uh, men's bantamweight strap where we got Piotr Jan going up against Aljamain Sterling. A very interesting stylistic matchup. So I can't wait to break that one down for you guys. But as always, first and foremost, shout out to my guy Salvetri for uh, continuing to uh, put on the MMA DFS show. It is uh, amazing the amount of support your boy's been getting. So I always want to give uh, credit to Sal and obviously the fellas too, because without you guys, the show would not be possible. So I appreciate you guys as always. So let's just plug myself right off the bat. We got uh, on the Twitters and the IGs. Make sure you guys follow me at MMALOTN. And then obviously on YouTube as well, where you can find my own podcast, uh, MMALOTN, the MMA Lockcast, which is my own podcast, drops almost every Monday or Tuesday of fight week. Uh, so we can give you guys a nice, early preview of what to expect from the from the upcoming card from a betting perspective all my dfs stuff is on this channel right here so if you're just focused on dfs you don't need to go anywhere but if you want more in-depth uh breakdowns make sure you guys check out my podcast as well too on my channel uh, also, I want to plug in my Patreon as well too. Five bucks a month gets you a bunch of perks, including early access to my breakdowns, all my official picks, best bets and props article, which goes through every single bet and uh, uh, every single fight on the card, and giving you the best bet and the best prop, along with the confidence rating as well too. So that's something that I just recently added. Very much happy, and a lot of my Patreon members are happy about that as well too. So I look forward to seeing how that flourishes throughout. And lastly, a, a great Discord community as well too. We got over 220 members right now, and uh, it continues to grow on a week-to-week basis. And uh, the Discord community is just a huge, huge help, a positive uh, community there as well, too. So very much happy about that. Also, let's give a a big sponsor uh, shout-out to Superdraft, who's doing one of their biggest ever ever contests this weekend when they have 5000 bucks up for first place. Uh, for this UFC 259 pool, amazing uh, prize pool there. One of the bigger ones that they've done. Obviously, they're not up to the level of the other guys, but uh, you know the fact that they're uh, able to give out five grand for first place, and even when these pools don't fill up, right? That's the big thing. These pools aren't filling up, so you're pretty much going up against zeros, uh, you know, compared to these other contests that you'd be entering into. So make sure you check out Super Draft. Use promo code Sal, and they'll match your Initial deposit uh, up to 500 bucks in a slow drip format. Also, Superdraft is like, you know, fantasy sports, but without the salaries. Instead of salaries, you got multipliers. The bigger of an underdog that you have, the more points that they're going to score or the the more multiplied their score is going to get. And uh, not to mention, it is also a captain mode for MMA. So you have to choose one captain. uh, They're going to get an increased uh, multiplier. And then you choose out the rest of your lineup. Score the most points. Hopefully, place in first and cast out five grand uh, uh, first place uh, prize. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, it's me. Who knows? Maybe it's going to be one of you guys as well. But if you do sign up to Super Draft, make sure you guys use promo code SAL. They will match your initial deposit all the way up to 500 bucks in a slow drip format. So once again, shout out to Super Draft. Appreciate you guys uh, supporting the show as always and winning our guys some bucks. So, all right. Uh, 
as always, we're going to be doing the quick uh, picks for the entire card. And then I'll hone in a little bit more on my lock of the night, dog of the night, uh, sleeper of the night, and fade of the night. And then we'll go through the rest of the format as well, too. So uh, very much looking forward to this one, right? This is a huge card. we got 15 fights on this card. Insane amount of action on here. A ton of fun fights. Not just the three big title fights that we have at the top of the card, but sprinkled throughout. we got so many great talents. So I'll go through my quick picks and try to give you guys a quick, brief little overview uh, of some of the matchups. But I'm very, very much looking forward to this card. All right, let's start off at the bottom of the card here. We got Trevin Jones taking on Mario Bautista. I like Bautista here. Um, I believe he's truly going to come through at his price range as well. Uh, we got him at 9,100. I am expecting a finish from this guy. So I like Mario Bautista. Uh, Uros Medic versus Alan Cruz. I like Alan Cruz there. And I'll be getting into that fight a little bit later. Uh, I like Amanda Lemos over Lavinia Souza. And that's possible for a finish later in this fight. Uh, Sean Brady. I like him as, over Jake Matthews. And I like Sean Brady a lot from a betting perspective. He's around that minus 195, minus 200 range. And I really like him in that spot. But in terms of a DraftKings, maybe not so much. But we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later as well too. Uh, I like Carlos Olberg over Kennedy and Zetchuku, but I'm not so crazy about his price tag. And again, another thing that I'll get to a little bit later in this podcast. Uh, I also like Tim Elliott over Jordan Espinoza. I like Kai Car France by Hogerio Bonturin. Uh, not the most, uh, at least from a draft king's perspective either. Uh, I like Joseph Benavides over Askar Askarov. I like Kyler Phillips to spring the upset over Song Yudong. Uh, and then the prelim headliner, we got the returning champ or, or former champ, uh, Dominic Cruz, who was just terrorizing the bantamweight division for years. Uh, not with just his performance in cage, but his performance outside of the cage, which is you know, only having seven fights in 10 years is absolutely crazy. Uh, but I still think he comes back and makes a successful uh, return and beats Casey Kenny. I do also like Alexander Rackage to uh, cement himself into that top five of the light heavyweight division with the victory over Tiago Santos, expecting it by decision. So, you know, decent scoring over there. Uh, I do like Islam Mahachev over Drew Dober. That's a big fight. We got Khabib 2.0 in Islam Mahachev. And uh, I say that because Khabib's always in this guy's corner. They're pretty much brothers. Uh, and there's a huge amount of hype uh, surrounding Mahachev. And even though he's not undefeated like Khabib is, that one loss that he has on his record early in his UFC career, he gets knocked out within a minute to a minute and a half. But since then, has looked absolutely flawless. And I think he's going to continue his reign of just absolute demolishing of his opponents. So I do like Islam Mahachev there. Now we're getting to the, the title fights. I like uh, Aljamain Sterling to spring the upset over uh, Piotr Jan via decision. I like Amanda Nunes to go in there and absolutely mollywop Megan Anderson. I know I'll, I'll be talking about her very, very shortly. And then I like Israel Adesanya to knock out Jan Blachowicz in the fifth round very intriguing fight very close fight much closer than the odds indicate uh so i'll be treading very uh cautiously uh when you're betting or even looking at that fight from a DraftKings perspective so yeah that's 15 fights that we got i'm not sure how many we'll actually get once the 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 card actually starts as you know the ufc always prepares to expect uh fallouts whether it's through weigh-in day or just covid testing throughout fight week so keep our fingers crossed that we keep the big fights uh and some of the you know lower level fights we get to to, to get rid of but uh still 15 fights very very much looking forward to that it should be very very fun all right let's get into the the, the meat 
of this uh, this episode. So my lock of the night play uh, from a DraftKings perspective is going to be Amanda Nunes. Now she's at ninety six hundred. Obviously, she's the highest uh, salaried price uh, salaried uh, fighter on this card, and for good reason. You know, what I mean, she should go out there and absolutely destroy Megan Anderson. Now Megan Anderson's only real path to victory here, in my opinion, is. Um, uh, knocking out Amanda Nunes. I expect her, uh, you know, to put on the pressure early on Amanda Nunes and try to get her out of there quickly. And when she does, you know, she beats no- girls like Norma Dumont and Zara Farn in the first round, and she's able to rack up 113 and 107 points, respectively. Uh, even her Katzengano fight, that fight ended very mysteriously with uh, a head kick, and it ended up her nail, her toenail, scratching the eye of uh, Katzengano, and unfortunately, they had to stop that fight relatively quickly. So, uh, but... This is Amanda Nunes we're talking about. This is the female goat that we're talking about. She's going in there and absolutely destroying bitches. And I'm expecting her to do the same thing here with Megan Anderson. And I expected it. I expect it to be her easiest fight since she fought Raquel Pennington. Heck, I think even the Raquel Pennington fight was much more difficult than what we're going to see Amanda Nunes have to endure this weekend. Now, Megan Anderson is a fighter that the UFC has been trying to push to get to a title shot. You know, she's pretty. She she knocks girls out. She looks, you know, she looks good in the cage every now and then. But then she always comes up short when she's fighting, like, legitimate competition. And what do I mean by legitimate competition? First fight in the UFC, they rack her up against Holly Holm for some goddamn reason. And she gets, uh, you know, she cracks Holly Holm. Holly Holm's like, oh, I don't want to be up here anymore. So she takes this fight to the ground. And that's not what Holly Holm's game normally is. Holly Holm is normally a kickboxer, a boxer. She likes to keep her range and uh, outpoint her opponents with her strikes. However, after she felt the power of Megan Anderson, she threw on that wrestling singlet real quick. Started taking this fight to the ground time and time again, and uh, it, it just really exploited how poor, ta- how much of a poor takedown defense that Megan Anderson has. Even though she's as big as she is, she's six foot with a seventy-two inch reach, so she's going to have a four-inch height advantage over Amanda Nunes here, as well as a three-inch reach advantage. So she loses the Holly Holm fight. She miraculously wins that Katzengano fight uh, and then goes on to lose to Felicia Spencer, who is the last person Amanda Nunes defeated to de- uh, to defend her uh, featherweight strap. That was a fight where Felicia Spencer, much smaller than uh, um Megan Anderson gets the fight to the ground relatively easily and then proceeds to choke her via rear naked choke in that first round. And that's pretty much how I'm expecting uh, Amanda Nunes to approach this fight. Get this fight to the ground as soon as possible, and let's sink in that choke. I think it's either going to be a first or second round submission victory. She's very good with the jiu-jitsu, obviously a black belt, and she's very strong as well too. One of the takes that I've been seeing throughout fight week is that people are saying, oh, Megan Anderson is going to be too big. You know, it's going to be too hard for Amanda Nunes to get her down. And I think that's absolutely false. Like everything that we've seen from past fights shows that she has poor takedown defense and her size and her strength just does not matter. And now you're putting her up against the greatest woman of all time. Yeah, Amanda Nunes is going to get this fight to the ground. And yeah, she's going to lock up that submission within the first two rounds, I'd say. I'd be surprised if this fight reaches that third round. Now, if I had a lock of the night play, which is our, you know, already a, a fighter, but if I had a different selection, at the under two and a half, I think is a very, very good spot. I think the last time I saw it, it was around minus 200. And uh, I think no matter who wins here, more than likely going to be uh, Amanda Nunes, but you don't want to be shelling out minus 1100 on a fighter um, or even minus 350 for her to win inside the distance. The under two and a half at minus 200 is pure money you know what i mean even in case we get a hail mary ko from megan anderson here you're covered in that aspect but i'm fully expecting megan or 
Amanda Nunes to get this fight to the ground relatively easily and within maybe the first or second takedown, I expect her to lock up a choke. So uh, yeah, Amanda Nunes is absolutely my lock of the night play here for DFS. You know, again, money line, it's tough to, to tip her as a minus 1100 favorite. But from a DraftKings draft perspective, I think she's going to be absolutely money. And I think she will be on that uh, optimal lineup, even though she's up that up there at that 9600 uh, price point. So, yeah, I like me some Amanda Nunes, if you can't tell. All right, uh, dog of the night played. This is a little bit tougher one because I was having, uh, I'm having trouble picking dogs on this card there's only two guys that really come to mind so i ended up making them my dog of the night and my sleeper of the night so my dog of the night is an ever slow slight dog in uh joseph benavides he's ranged at that 7900 range he's going up against askar askarov who you know undefeated 13-0-1 his only draw was his ufc debut to brandon moreno uh and since then he's been able to uh beat tim elliott and alessandre pantoja and in doing so, he's not really racking up the most points, right? 71 uh, points in both of those fights. And then the draw with Moreno. Moreno actually outscores him, but he only scores uh, 48 points. That's Askar Askarov. Um, Benavides, on the other hand, coming off of two straight losses in flyweight championship belts uh, and was pretty much winning that entire first Davis and Figueredo fight, winning 99% of that fight. Uh, they have that inadvertent headbutt. <clears throat> and that's where we see... Uh, you know, the, the tides completely turn. Uh, you know, right after that, Davidson Figueredo lands an absolute bomb on Benavidez's chin, and we see uh, Benavidez crumple and uh, get finished in that first fight. Unfortunately for Davison, he missed weight that fight, so he wasn't crowned the champion that night. So they have an immediate rematch. I think it was uh, so in March, it was either in February or March that the first fight happened, and then in July they get the second fight just about five, four or five months afterwards, and Benavides still seemed like he was on wobbly legs as soon as that fight started. Uh, Davison drops him within about 45 seconds of that fight starting, and it was just one-way traffic that entire time. We got hundred and uh, close to 130 points from Davison uh, that second time around as he just absolutely destroyed Benavides. But the thing here is, people are just exclusively focusing on that last fight. And that's very unfair to do, considering that Benavides was winning their first fight, you know, all six or seven minutes of it uh, before getting hit with that headbutt and then, you know, all hell breaking loose. But, uh, you know, he's been looking great even before that. He was on a three-fight winning streak uh, against Alex Perez. He knocked him out, uh, defeats Dustin Ortiz via decision, and then he knocks out Juicy Formiga as well too. Like, people are just absolutely dismissing, dismissing this guy and making him an underdog now. Um, I, I find it blasphemy, to be honest. I still think that Benavidez, at his 36-year-old, uh, at his age, he should still go out there and still have some competitive performances. We're talking about this guy. He has seven losses that are only to four different opponents. Uh, Demetrius Johnson, Dominic Cruz, uh, and obviously Davison Figueredo. And then that one guy that he only lost to once was Sergio Perez. And that was a fight that could have gone Benavidez's way. It was a split decision. Um, I believe it was a split decision. But either way, that was him coming off, coming back after a year and a half layoff as well, too. So, yeah, you want to get your feet wet when you're fighting the top of the top in this division. So, unfortunately for him, he dropped that uh, fight that night. Then he goes on that three-fight winning streak and gets that flyweight title shot. So, I think Benavidez has a ton still left in the tank. Uh, people might be questioning his motivation. But from recent interviews I've been seeing, it's like he wants to go in there and have fun. And for some people, that works out for them better. You know what I mean? When you don't have uh, a goal in mind weighing on you, uh, and you just want to go in there and perform to the best of your ability, 
I think Benavides could come out with a, a very solid game plan here. Now with Askar Askarov, solid wrestler, decent hands, but I think people are over-exaggerating how much power he truly has in his hands as well too, and they're expecting him to go out there and knock out Benavides. Benavides has shown a great chin. You know what I mean? It was only Davidson Figueredo putting this guy out. And he's the hardest hitter in the division. So all of a sudden, people think that this guy's chin has just completely fallen off the rails and that Askar Askarov is going to go in there and knock this guy out. I think that's absolutely false. I think we'll see Benavides uh, have the better, uh, get the better in the scrambles. Uh, I think both guys are going to be able to take each other down. But I don't think that Askarov will be able to keep Benavides down as Benavides is probably one of the best scramblers in the game still. Uh, and then if Benavides gets Askarov down, he should be able to get some good top control. Um, we've seen Askarov held down before in his regional scenes, uh, in his regional fights. And then even on the feet, he's getting touched up by Brandon Moreno and Tim Elliott. Now, the big thing here is that, oh my God, Askar Askarov hurt and rocked Tim Elliott. That's the one instance where we've seen his, uh, you know, his hands truly do some good work to the point of closely finishing somebody. In his fight against Alexandre Pantoja, you're talking about a Pantoja who's just completely compromised in that third round, a step behind uh, Askarov, who just had the better gas tank in that fight, and was able to, you know, Askarov looked great on the feet because Pantoja just couldn't react quickly enough. Benavides' cardio is just amazing. That guy can go 10 rounds if he wants, and his speed holds up throughout the entire fight. So I think that he's going to have the advantage on the feet here with his speed and possibly his power too. And I, the reason I'm picking him as my dog of the night play is one, obviously he's the underdog here, very slight, but still an underdog. But I think he has finishing uh, upside as well. I think, um, you know, plus 580, I believe, is what his KO prop line is. But I think that uh, given the fact that we've seen Askarov uh, hurt by multiple opponents before, not to the point of getting knocked down or anything like that, but we've seen him wobbled. Benavides could absolutely throw him off with his speed, mix in a couple of his calf kicks, which has been a central point of his game plan every now uh, for the last several fights, uh, and then mix in his hands and his hand speed and all that. I think it's going to cause trouble for Askarov here. So yeah, I do like Benavides here. Personally, I have a money line bet on him as well too, but I will be having him a good portion of him in my DraftKings lineups as well. But I do like uh, Benavides to win this fight. I'm going to say by KO. Uh, you know, there's a high chance that he wins by decision as well too, but I think he has high upside for uh, for winning by KO as well. Like the one time that he won by a decision in his last five fights was against Dustin Ortiz. He still put up 109 points. Uh, and then when he knocked out uh, Perez, 112 points, and uh, Formiga, 108 points. So I'm expecting some big numbers out of my guy, Joseph Benavides, this weekend. Uh, before I continue on with my uh, fade of the night, I do want to remind you guys that Salvetri does have an MMA optimizer on his Patreon. So make sure you guys check that out. The link is in the description below, but that's been a huge, huge help. I'm sure a lot of people are very much enjoying that product that he has, but not to mention just the optimizer. The guy's got his projections, uh, ownership, all that type of stuff. All the tools that you need to be successful this weekend at UFC 259 is on my guy's Salvetri's channel. So make sure you guys check out the link in the description below and you guys will uh, get an edge on the rest of the field, in my opinion, as it's one of the best tools to use in the game. All right, let's move on to the fate of the night. I got my guy Carlos Ulberg here at 9,000. Now, there is absolutely finishing upside for this guy. The guy's a great kickboxer, but... There's just as many questions about him too. He has great kickboxing, don't get me wrong. He comes from a kickboxing background, but he only has three MMA fights. I'm seeing 5-0 and here and there, but I just don't understand that as 3-0 and is, you know, Tapology has it as 3-0, Sherdog has it as 3-0. I'm, I'm not sure where they're making up these extra two fights from. Either way, anything that we've seen in those fights truly doesn't help us to see what it's going to look like for Carlos Alberg for the rest of his MMA career. 
you know, his first fight was over 10 years ago. The guy gassed out within two minutes and, uh, or, and he just didn't answer the belt. So Alberg won that fight, uh, going into the second round. Then his, uh, second last fight, uh, fights a guy that he had a sizable, uh, height advantage over and reach advantage. And the guy just couldn't cu- close the distance well enough to, you know, challenge him in the grappling or clinch aspect. So we saw Alberg on the outside pretty much the entirety of that fight, just picking him apart, doing some good work from there, and taking home a decision victory. Then in his next fight, it was the Contender Series fight against Bruno Oliveira, where, you know, Oliveira putting on some good pressure, seeming not too bad, and then he gets a little bit too lackadaisical, comes in with a poor uh, combination, poorly defended, with poor striking defense, and we see Alberg absolutely starch him, put him out, and get the victory that night. He's only 3-0. We haven't seen him, you know, get clinched or grappled or or taken down. How does he look in those positions? We have no idea. Now, we have Kennedy and Zetsuko, on the other hand, who, you know, uh, 7200 in terms of his price tag, plus 210 on the money line. Uh, he's 7-1, and one, but he seems like this guy, you know, even though he has more MMA experience than Carlos here, he's still a little bit green himself too, right? He's a little bit more robotic with the striking, but that's his path to victory is keeping his range. He has an 83-inch reach. That's going to be six inches higher or more than Carlos Alberg, and he'll have a one-inch height advantage on his on him as well too. But the majority of his wins come from him distance striking. He stays on the outside and just pot shots his opponents and, uh, you know, just keeps them on the outside, kicking up the middle, um, you know, a great length with his with his striking but we that's pretty much all we see like his uh his one loss was to Paul Craig where he just couldn't get out of that uh that that position on the bottom uh you know was pretty much going on to win that fight i believe uh and then Paul Craig throws up a submission as Paul Craig is known to do and he gets a submission victory i think with like 20 or 30 seconds left in that fight uh, then the Darko Stosic fight, right? He has a huge height and huge reach advantage over Stosic, and he's able to keep him on the outside for the majority of that fight and then take home a decision victory, but only scoring 50 points. Now, how does he match up with Alberg, right? If he wants to go in there and try to beat him from range, I think he's going to get lit up by Alberg. But he's coming from Fortis MMA, and you guys, if you guys have been watching me for a couple episodes now, you guys know I like to bang the drum of Fortis MMA, as they have a very good head coach, and they have very good game planning, and I feel like they'll come in with the proper game plan to exploit a guy like Carlos Alberg, uh, or expose a guy like Carlos Alberg, I should say. You know, I think uh, Save Sayud, the head coach of Fortis MMA, is salivating at the mouth to expose Carlos here, and I think that he has a decent body in Nzechuku to go out there and make it a grinding fight, possibly drag this fight to the ground and make it a lot tougher for Alberg to get his strikes off, but Alberg, you know, same training camp as Israel Adesanya, same head coach obviously as well too, so maybe they're preparing for something similar as well, but when you don't see it in Nzechuku's game, and if you go through his eight fights, you don't really see him implementing that type of game plan, how are you supposed to prepare for it? So I'm very intrigued by this fight, but the only reason I'm fading Alberg here is it's a tough spot, you know, at the top of this salary range in this field to find a spot to truly fade, to be like, okay, this is the fade. So you're still going to want to have some Carlos, don't get me wrong, because his finishing upside is definitely there. But my fade is more so on his unknowns. And I, I, I'm not 100% sure whether we'll get that uh, from Enzetsuku here and if we'll see him actually expose Alberg, but... Uh, you know, out of all the the guys at the at the top of the field here, it's tough to truly choose one, right? I I like 
Uh, obviously Nunes to win. I like Mahachev to win to score a lot as well. I like Brady to win, and I think he has finishing upside via submission as well. Uh, Adesanya, I believe, has finishing upside, and obviously you got five rounds there. I think he could do a really good job against Blahovic. Mario Batista, I expect him to go out there and get a uh, get a finish. Uh, and then you got Carlos Holberg. Like I like aiming for those top, you know, the, the, the above the nine thousand or the high eight thousands. When I'm talking about a fade of the night. Now, Uros Medic is a guy that I could potentially throw in there as well too, but as you'll see in my next segment, I like uh, Cruz as a sleeper there. And then, you know, Song Yidong has finishing upside. The guy that I trust the least from 8,500 and above is Carlos Ulberg because very green in his MMA career style. Will obviously look like the much better striker as well, but it's just how does he do when he's actually getting pushed? How does he do when he's getting clinched up? And how will he look if he gets taken down? You got a big, strong guy in Kennedy and Zetchuk in front of you. So yeah, I'm picking Ulbricht as my fate of the night. But again, you're still going to want to have some of him on your lineups as I believe that if he wins this fight, it's going to score pretty high. And he does have Zetchuk beat on strictly technique alone when we're talking about striking. But this is MMA. So I'm interested to see what kind of performance we're going to see from Zetchuk here. And that's why I got uh, Ulbricht as my fate of the night. All right, let's get to... The sleeper play of the night. And this is my guy, Alan Cruz, who's coming in at 7,300, getting absolutely disrespected by the bookies and obviously DraftKings here as you got Uros Medic or Uros Medic coming in at 8,900. Now let's start off on the Alan Cruz side of things, who's coming off a knockout loss to Spike Carlisle. And this is a thing that MMA betters, the MMA public, uh, they, they love to do this. Whenever a guy is coming off a knockout loss, especially in a fight where he was coming in as a minus 200 favorite, uh, they fade him moving forward at all times, and I don't get it. Like, I, I know that there's a pretty good record of betting on fighters that are coming off of first-round knockouts, and it's pretty damn good. Like, the, there's guys that go out there and, you know, people think that they're going to get starched again just because they got knocked out in the last fight. Alan Cruz being that guy here, I think it's going to I think a lot of people are going to be upset if they're heavily backing Orosh Medic here. Now, uh, you know, I'm hearing takes that people are saying that, you know, the Cruz can't take a punch or anything like that. But if you look back at all of his fights, you know, he's fighting a top flight competition. And the only time you really see his legs buckle and get knocked out was the um, the Spike Carlisle fight. Um, you know, he looked great in his uh, in his uh, contender series fight, maintaining the distance with his 78-inch reach. 78-inch reach at lightweight is absolutely insane. If you guys remember, I was saying that uh, Kennedy and Zetschuk was 83 inches at 90... Uh, at light heavyweight, and Carlos Ulbricht has 77 inches. So Alan Cruz has a bigger reach or longer reach than uh, Carlos Ulbricht, who fights over 50 pounds heavier than this guy. Um, so yeah, Cruz, great uh, style from the outside. I think we could see him potentially mixing some takedowns here too, as we do see a very lacking takedown defense game from Uroš Medic. Um, I think Alan Cruz moving up in weight now too. He's coming from 145 to 155. We'll see him filled out a little bit more. And that could potentially help his potential durability issues that people are throwing on this guy. Um, I think Cruz should go in there, uh, keep this fight at distance, and then potentially expose the cardio issues of Rorosh Medic, who's only seen maybe six minutes of fighting uh, in terms of uh, the, the longest fight that he's ever been in. Most of his wins are coming in the first round, knocking out his opponents or submitting his opponents, but that's on the Alaska FC, FC scene. 
And uh, for people in the know, Alaska FC usually produces these guys that are heavily groomed. They look like killers on their scene, but then they come to the UFC and they are the killed. They're the ones getting exposed and they're the ones getting finished and, and uh, you know, just shown that they're not truly UFC level. Now, Medich seems to be one of the better prospects coming out of Alaska FC, but I'm still very hesitant regarding the level of competition that he was fighting over there. And then not to mention his... um. His contender series fight against Mikey Gonzalez, who just didn't seem like he wanted to be hit right off the bat. So, yeah, Medich is going to look like an absolute killer when he's going up against guys that don't want to be hit or react so extravagantly every time they get hit by Medich. Whereas Cruz, I think he'll be able to handle some of those shots and then, you know, push this fight into later rounds and potentially get a later finish as well, too. So I'm expecting a full-on uh, approach here from Cruz, who's also now at Extreme Couture, changed his training camp after he got knocked out by Spike Carlisle. And uh, Uro Medic is obviously tra- changing his training camp as well, spending some time up in Alaska, but more often than not, down there in California now with uh, King's MMA, training with guys like Calvin Gastelum and Benio Dariush. But I think that... Uh, it's still going to be a far cry in terms of what we see from him in the cage uh, going up against somebody that's actually going to bring the fight to him and isn't kind of scared or hesitant of this guy. So I like Alan Cruz here. I think he's going to spin the upstairs. I think he's going to be lower owned as well because people are fully expecting Medich to go in there and just put this guy out. When that doesn't happen in the first round, it's going to get very sketchy because I do think that Medich could have some cardio issues here as he's never been pushed in the past before. And Alan Cruz has been up against a much stiffer competition. He's been 15 minutes. He's been able to keep up a solid pace, keep up his strikes, keep up his forward pressure and maintain that distance as well so that he can fully utilize his 78 inch uh, reach that he has. In terms of this fight, he's going to be at a one inch height disadvantage, but he'll be at a, a seven inch reach advantage as well. And he knows how to use that, at least from everything that I've seen in his past couple of fights. That Spike Carlisle fight, that guy is an absolute madman. And, you know, people may shit on him that he's not in the UFC anymore, but the guy packs a punch. You know, so uh, it was one of those situations with Alan Cruz where it was a head kick that initially started that finishing sequence. And I believe Cruz believed his hand was high enough to bo- block the kick. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Lands cleanly on the head of his and... um we see uh, Cruz just absolutely crumble under the uh, the power of Carlisle there. Uh, I think he's going to be a little bit more prepared here against Rurosh Medic and just spring up the upset. And I think people are going to be mystified as to, oh my God, this guy just got knocked out in his last fight. Why isn't, he, why isn't Medic putting him away? I think they're, they're sorely mistaken. They're looking too much into that Carlisle fight. And we'll see Cruz go out there and expose this guy who, you know, just been fed bums his entire, his entire career. And I think we'll see Cruz go out there and either finish this fight late because, I'm again, there are question marks about Medich's uh, cardio. And I'm kind of just assuming that he has bad cardio. But uh, usually when guys don't have fights that go past the first round often, uh, they do have that, those cardio issues. So I'm going with Alan Cruz here. And I think he wins this fight either third round KO or I'll take him to win this fight via decision by soundly outstriking um, Uros Medich with volume. And uh, maybe even mixing in a couple of takedowns and exposing that uh, that poor takedown defense of Uros Medic. All right, that brings us to our stackable main event or not. And I believe this is a stackable main event. I believe that we see this fight at least go four or five rounds. And we're going to get a good enough amount of strikes, uh, possible takedowns as well from Jan Blachowicz, uh and from both guys. They're going to be able to put up uh, solid numbers here. Um uh, but yeah, I do favor Israel to win that fight, and I think if he finishes it, it's going to be later, uh, but I think that this uh, main event 
can definitely be stackable if you're in those head-to-heads or double-ups. Uh, once again, just want to remind you guys, the, the projections, the tools, and the MMA optimizer on Salvetri's channel, make sure you guys check that thing out. Link is in the description below. Super, super helpful, especially for a fight a fight card like this one. you got 15 fights. You want to have as much of an edge on the competition as you can, and uh, you need to look no further than my guy Salvetri's Patreon, where he has all the tools that you need to be successful this weekend. All right, my favorite plays in each range. Now, if you guys remember a little bit earlier, I said that my favorite uh, fighter to back this weekend is going to be Sean Brady. Not so much from a DraftKings perspective, but from an actual betting perspective, I think he has, uh, you know, he should win. He's my locker than I play. I have a bet on him at minus 196. He's still around that minus 200 range, and I think he's still very much worth it all the way up to minus 350, minus 400. I think he absolutely demolishes Matthews here and potential finishing upside as well for that um for for a possible submission but in terms of as in the six thousand dollar range it's very tough to pick uh megan anderson who i don't think has much of a, a high upside in getting the knockout or finish here and then drew dober who's just going to get wrestled fuck to death by my guy islam Mahachev. and you're telling me the only other your option is jake matthews so i'll go with jake matthews who i think has a better uh, chance of going at least three full rounds and possibly springing the upside. I'd be very surprised if he does, though. Uh, but I do like uh, Jake Matthews as my favorite spot in the 6,000s. Now, moving on to the 7,000s, I got to go with my guy, Joseph Benavides. It, it was kind of hard to pick an underdog, like I said. The only other dog that I like is Alan Cruz. Uh, but I think that Benavides has the best shot to spring in the upset here and getting a finish as well. So I do like Benavides at 7,900. Now at 8,000, I like Alexander Rakic. He's at 8,600, but I think he will p- go out there and put on an absolute grappling clinic against um, against Thiago Santos. The last time we saw um, Rakic, he went in there and absolutely grappled, fucked Anthony Smith, a ton of control time, uh, a bunch of significant strikes as well too. Uh, and then I believe he dro- recorded a knockdown as well with one of his calf kicks. Now, Thiago Santos, a lot of people are high on this guy, but the guy's 37 years old. He's coming off of bad knee injuries, you know what I mean? We saw him uh, pretty much debilitate him in that Glover Teixeira fight. In a fight that he had some relative success, he was able to rock Glover Teixeira a couple times, but he wasn't able to put him out. We saw Glover still manage to get him down. And I think that Alexander Rakic has better striking than Glover at this point in time, better distance management, great calf kicks as well too, which I think will absolutely hinder the movement of Thiago Santos. And then we'll start to see the takedowns come, the significant strikes, control time, all of that. I like Alexander Rakic the most in this 88,000 range. And then at 9,000, got to go with the lock and then I play, right? For for DraftKings, that is, which is Amanda Nunes at 9,600. She should go in there and just do work. That first or second round finish, I think is very, very live here. It's going to be via submission, in my opinion. Or if she gets the back of Megan Anderson and Megan doesn't really give up the choke, she might just give up a, a ground and pound loss. But uh, I think Nunes absolutely rolls in the spot. She will live up to that 9,600, and I think she gets it done in the first or second round. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Um, shout out once again to Superdraft. If you guys use code SAL on your initial uh, sign up and your initial deposit, they will match you up 100% up to 500, uh, 500 bucks on a uh, on a slow drip format so make sure you guys check them out not to mention their five thousand dollar first place prize this weekend for ufc 259 it's one of the biggest ones they've done thus far and again the, the, these pools do not fill up so you're pretty much going up against a bunch of zeros uh you know com- and then obviously the rest of the field but it definitely increases your chance of taking home that first place prize or even any money at all so please do 
check out Super Draft. Use promo code SAL and they'll match you 100% up to 500 bucks uh, on your initial deposit. So I'll see you guys in those uh, in those Super Draft pools because I'll definitely be uh, trying to get some money out of that myself. Uh, and then on the way out here, just again, make sure you guys check me out at MMALOTN on all platforms. That's Twitter, Instagram, and the YouTube. And even though I didn't go super in-depth in this episode about every single matchup, if you guys want more information and want a more in-depth breakdown on every single fight, make sure you guys check out my podcast, The MMA Lawcast. Just go to my YouTube channel. It's also on all podcasting platforms. That's iTunes. That's um, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. It's all out there. Make sure you guys check it out. Uh, If you want more in-depth breakdowns for these fights, I got you covered. All right. Good luck on your bets this weekend. Good luck on your DraftKings lineups this weekend. Hopefully, we can bring some moolah into your bank account. And lastly, I do want to remind you guys that we do have a pre-lock show this weekend. Me and uh, my guy DFS by the numbers will be doing a pre-lock show an hour before lock and, uh, you know, taking all questions. We'll skim through the card real quick and then we'll take questions from the chat. It was very, very, very fun last time around when I had Brett Appley on before we did UFC 258. Now we got UFC 259, 15 fights. Uh, and obviously, I'm, I'm very close with my guy DFS by the numbers and uh, very much looking forward to having him on, talking to the chat and just giving us our last minute thoughts, our pre-lock thoughts on the fights before they actually kick off. All right. Appreciate you guys. As always, if you haven't already, make sure you guys like and subscribe to the video below. Let me know what you guys are thinking with the card. Just drop a comment. I'll try to swing by as often as I can to answer those questions for you guys. But good luck on your bets this weekend. Good luck on your lineups this weekend. Here's hoping that we can bring home some bucks for you guys. Uh, Yeah, good luck this weekend. And I'll see you guys next week.